Good morning, I'm Alan Miller, Director of University Relations here at Indiana Wesleyan University. And today we are honored to celebrate the lives of two IWU alumni world changers, both of them perfect examples of God's amazing grace. The Alumni World Changer Award was established in 2011 to honor an alumnus who has made or is making a significant difference in his or her corner of the world. Whether in the marketplace or on the mission field, IWU Alumni World Changers are people who influence and impact others through servant leadership. Our hope is that their stories would inspire current IWU students to make a difference wherever God places you. IWU Alumni World Changers are ordinary people who have done extraordinary things with their lives. Previously, we have honored three alumni whose accomplishments are summarized on plaques on the Alumni World Changer wall in Jackson Library. Today, we honor two more IWU alumni, the late Dr. Charles Duvall and Mr. Francis Mustafa. Mr. Mustafa will be our chapel speaker today, and you will meet him in a few minutes. But first, let me tell you about Dr. Charles E. Duvall. He graduated from Marion College in 1926 with a bachelor's degree in science. Three months later, Charles and his wife, Lior, were already serving as missionaries in China, where Charles had been born in 1903 to medical missionary parents. During their first decade in China as missionaries, the Duvalls returned twice to the Marion College campus, where Charles taught botany and zoology at Marion College. The Duvalls returned to China in 1939, but as World War II clouds rumbled, American women and children were advised to return home. Leora Duvall and the couple's two daughters left China in March of 1941, but Charles stayed behind. The day after Pearl Harbor was bombed in December of 1941, Charles was detained in the city of Shanghai, where he taught in a school for Jewish refugee children and worked on botany research. He later was imprisoned in a Japanese concentration camp for 10 months, along with 1,000 other men. During his imprisonment, Dr. Duvall taught botany classes in the concentration camp. He was released in December of 1943 as part of a Japanese-American prisoner exchange, and he returned to Marion, where his wife had been serving as dean of women at Marion College. Charles resumed teaching at Marion College and completed his doctorate at Indiana University before the family returned to China in 1946. Three years later, the communist takeover of mainland China again forced the Duvalls to return to America, where Charles came right back to campus and taught another 11 years at Marion College. In 1957, the Duvalls went to Taiwan to oversee missionary work of the Friends Church. And over the next 23 years, Charles was not only active in helping to establish 31 Friends Churches in Taiwan, but he also taught botany at the National University of Taipei. He would become internationally recognized as an authority on oriental ferns, and one specimen he discovered was named in his honor and was featured and still is featured today on a Taiwanese postage stamp. Dr. Duvall retired from missionary service in 1980 and returned to his family farm in Ohio. But in 1985, he had a final opportunity to return to mainland China. He used the visit to see old childhood friends and to visit the familiar sites of his boyhood, 
including the Chinese hillsides where he first began his collection of plants that would lead to a lifetime of teaching botany. Dr. Duvall died in 1989 after more than six decades as a professor and as a friend's missionary. He truly is one of our alumni world changers. Now it's my privilege to introduce our chapel speaker, Francis Mustafa. But before I do that, I would invite all of the members of Francis' family and all of the friends of his that have gathered from around Indiana to share this day with us. So would all the family members and all the friends of Francis stand and let us welcome you to our campus. Welcome, it's great to have so many of you here. Francis Mustafa came to America in 1968 when a biology teacher who was then a Marion College professor on leave teaching in Sierra Leone bought Francis an airplane ticket and arranged for him to come to Marion to attend what was then Marion College. Francis worked in the college cafeteria during the school year and in Marion factories during the summer to pay for room and board. A professor here, the late Dr. Margaret Hodson, became an American mother to Francis and assisted him in completing his bachelor's degree. After Francis graduated from Marion College in 1972, he earned two master's degrees at Indiana University. And from 1975 until his retirement in 2010, he taught biology in Liberia, Sierra Leone, and in the United States, mostly at two high schools in Fort Wayne. He married Roberta Bobby Strom, who graduated from Marion College in 1976 and still is teaching at an elementary school in Fort Wayne. The must of us have three children and six grandchildren, all of whom are with us today. Francis became an American citizen in 1992 and two years later received the first of several state and national awards for excellence in teaching. In 1994, after he was named the Fort Wayne Community School Teacher of the Year, he went on to be honored as the Indiana State Teacher of the Year and was the runner-up for National Teacher of the Year. The same year, he received a Milk and Educator Award, one of the nation's most prestigious honors, and was inducted into the National Teachers Hall of Fame. And in, in 2009, Francis received Dolly Parton's Chasing Rainbows Award. That's given annually to someone who has overcome obstacles to become an exemplary teacher and is making a significant difference in the lives of children. But the personal rainbow that Francis Mustafa has been chasing much of his life does not end in an American classroom. It ends in Medina, Sierra Leone, the small village where Francis grew up, and that is the story he has come to share with us this morning. We are proud to honor this remarkable man, an exemplary teacher, as an Indiana Wesleyan University alumni world changer. Over 1,200 schools were destroyed in the Civil War of Sierra Leone. The call of God instilled in the heart of one man born in that country has resulted in the hope of a village called Medina, his birthplace. He is leading the educational and spiritual battle for the soul of the nation, its children. Full heart and opening eyes. I see 
Early one morning, a young man was strolling on a beach on a low tide. He saw lots of starfish, and he started throwing some of these starfish into the ocean. At the same time, an older gentleman was also strolling the beach. The older gentleman asked this young man, What are you doing, son? And the young man replied, I am throwing these starfish back into the ocean. You see, when the sun comes up, these starfish are going to dry up and they'll die. And the older gentleman asked this young man, But son, there are thousands of starfish on the beach. What difference will it make? And as he threw the one in his hand back into the ocean, he commented, It will make a difference to this one. There are hundreds of thousands of Sierra Leone children that need education that don't have the opportunity for an education. We may not reach them all, but a few we will reach will make a difference to them. And that makes it all worthwhile. I'm Indiana Wesleyan University is such a tremendous university. I don't really think even the students now that are here, you really comprehend, can comprehend what this university means and how it does shape lives. It is an honor, I'm humbled to be here today to be recognized by this university. I am also honored to be part of this university. You see, this university is having such an impact in this community as well as around the world that you have no idea. Let me just throw you in one small secret or one small history that you may not know. The year I became the State Teacher of the Year, guess what? That same year, the runner-up for the state was also a student from here, former student from here. Only Indiana University, as far as we know, can boast of having both the State Teacher of the Year and the runner-up from the same university in the same year. 
I was born in a small village that was started by my father. And he was his, the uh, youngest of seven siblings. All of the siblings settled in this village. And so in this village, everybody knew everybody. In fact, we were all related. I often hear the, the cliche, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, they say it, but I don't think they really, you know, people that say really understand it. Because you see, in this village, our philosophy was, I mean, the philosophy of this village was, a child does not belong to you. That child belongs to the village. So every individual, every adult in that village bears responsibility for the well-being of that child. Oh, I could remember a number of times that uh, a total stranger or somebody I didn't know would tell me on their little back and kind of whack my bottom a few times because I wasn't doing what I'm supposed to be doing, naughty. But in any case, in this village, my mother had lost six children in a row before age five. I was born a twin. Shortly after we were born, my twin brother died. I wasn't expected to leave. But fortunately for me at that time, a lady had gone to school and has been educated as a nurse. And he had gone and established a small clinic about 20, 25 miles from our village. And when my twin brother died and my father heard of this lady, he took me, and my mother, of course, took me in a little, you know, I was the penis of the two, and it, they were not, I was really not expecting to leave. And so they were not expecting me for, for me to leave. So he took me to this lady and said, we have heard that you have been educated. Here, prove it, as he turned me over to this lady. As far as I know, the only difference between me and the other seven siblings that have died was the intervention of this educated lady. So that in itself, right away, made the case for education for my father. He was the first person from that village. It was a Muslim village. He was the first person from that village that started sending his children to school. And of course, you know, he had a lot of flack, and a lot of the other village, they criticized him. They said he was abandoning the Muslim religion. And interestingly, too, when he sent us to this school, this was a Christian school, it was a mission school, and he allowed us to, be, to become Christians also. Okay? And as I grew up, and I was told the story, and interestingly, uh, my wife and I, when we visited uh, back in Africa, she also had a story from this lady. Okay? And so it was, as I grew up, the story, I was told the story, education took a totally became totally different to me. My perspective of education was very different from the rest of my siblings. To me, education was not just going to school, get a job, make money, it was life. Because somebody was educated, intervened with that education, that's why I'm here today. And so as I came, as I grew up, and uh, it became very important to me, and so I worked hard in school, in college, I mean in school, and I graduated high school. Unfortunately for me, coming from the village because of such corruption in Sierra Leone, I'll, come, I'll talk about that later, I couldn't get into one of the universities. Fortunately for me, a professor from here, Indiana Wesleyan, he used to be called Marion College, told me, Sir Francis, I'll 
buy you a ticket to get you to Indiana Western, you can walk and pay your way through school. The rest was history. So all these years, as I walked, as I was teaching and gone through college and so on, it's always been my dream to go back and build a school in that area. There are several villages within that area that there's no school, and I wanted to give these children the opportunity for life as I had. And so over the years, uh, we have made three attempts. First attempt was when I was a American educator, came with $25,000. We decided to take that to go and start building a school. Unfortunately, the war started, and we couldn't, that was, everything was taken. We used the rest of that funds <clears throat> to, uh, to support our people that were displaced. In 2005, we sent some more money to get the, uh, to, for the people there to harvest lumber and uh, collect it, and then we go back and start the school. There was also a fire accident. And so there goes that. At this point now, I was beginning to wonder, I was saying, Lord, you have put this on my mind. You always wanted me to do this. Why are you stopping it? So we decided best thing to do is to wait until I, I retire. And when I retired in, 20, uh, in 2011, I retired January 14, 2011, January 28, 2011, went on, you know, to start school. Well, before I went, the question was, where are the funds? What am I going to, to build school with? Well, my friends, if you want to change the world, ask somebody to help you. The little funds I had, I took it to my church and I said, this is what I have. Can we take this mission? Okay. It was nowhere close to what was needed to build this school. But ah, I remember the story. A little boy with two fishes and five loaves. What did he do with it? He gave it to the master. The rest was history. If you can remember that story. He fed, what, 5,000 people and with 12 baskets left over. And that was my motivation and confidence. And then over the years, like I said, you want to change the world, ask uh, somebody to help you. So over the years, here's my help, you know, my church and my friends, and there they are, the true world changers, okay? They've come through very strong, and they believe in this mission, and we work together. We got a school built. We opened school in uh, September 16, 2011. And uh, we had a very good uh, year, successful year. And we couldn't start the second year because of the Ebola. Okay. And of course, when you look at, you know, asking for help, even Christ, our leader, probably arguably the, the, the world, you know, the, the greatest world changer. He needed help. What did he do? He called disciples to help him do the job. 
Years of corruption, greed, and selfishness threw the country of Sierra Leone into a very deadly civil war, I mean, a rebel war that destroyed the country. Not only the toll of hundreds of thousands of people, it took a toll of hundreds of thousands of people that were dead, almost every infrastructure were destroyed. Those infrastructures that were destroyed, one, two of those were what was definitely needed, absolutely needed in the control of Ebola, education and health infrastructure. So when Ebola hit, there was nothing to stop it. That's why Sierra Leone took much of the brunt of the Ebola you know, crisis. Thousands of people have died, including about 12, 13 doctors, several hundred nurses, and of course, thousands of you know, ordinary civilians. About a summer ago, I mean two summers ago, when my wife and I were there, Sierra Leone was declared by the international transparency that Sierra Leone was the most corrupt country in the world. I don't know what you know, tool they used or what measurement they did, but at least we were declared the most corrupt country in the world. And indeed, that is true. That seems to be the case. Let me give you two examples, three examples of corruption that was so, that's so devastating and strangling in that country. Ebola. During the Ebola crisis, hundreds of millions of dollars were poured into Sierra Leone in order to control Ebola. Recently, the international community is now asking the government to account for $14 million. Okay? $14 million was supposed to go into fighting Ebola, into you know, providing the resources and so on. But $14 million was gone. During that time, folks, we lost what? About 13 doctors, about hundreds of, about hundreds of nurses, and thousands of people. That is evil, folks. That's how corrupt the nation is. The nation is so corrupt that there's nothing you can do there that doesn't require either a bribe or corruption of some kind. The years I've been trying to work building this building, I mean, we're, we're trying to get this building uh, built. It's been tremendous pressure, okay? And of course, if you want to change the world, folks, you don't back away from the truth. You don't walk away from adversity. You see our great leader, Jesus, did not back away from clearing the temple of money changers. He did not back away from the adversity of the cross. Okay, yes, indeed. And that's where we are. And that's basically our motivation. When you build a school, you apply to the government for them to come and recognize you. When they recognize you, you get into the system because in the education situation in Sierra Leone is such that the, um, the government does not run schools, have never been able to build schools and so on. And so much of the education uh, burden is carried by missions, 
different missions, different organizations, and so on. All the government does is just simply subsidize these different, you know, missions for their education effort. Obviously, if they had recognized us, we would probably be in the system and they would be able to subsidize us. So we wrote to them and they wrote to us and told us that, I mean, and the, the, uh, the centers for inspectors, they inspected our school, they went through it, they interviewed us and so on, and they told us they were very impressed, they've not seen a school of this type, you know, in the nation. But before they left, they told us that when we go, we are going to write our report, but when we turn this in to the, uh, to the government officers, they're not going to believe us. So I thought because they've seen, you know, such a setup, such a structure, and that would be the case. So I told them, I said, well, you go ahead and write a report, turn it to them. If they don't believe you, tell them they can come and find, see for themselves. Only last year, this year, that I finally found out was the reason their, uh, their bosses were not going to believe them is because we did not send a brown envelope. A brown envelope is money to the officers in order to do the job they're supposed to do. And I tell you folks, we won't do it because it's not right. Because that's not who we are, Christians. We are not going to back off. The unfortunate situation is that the corruption is so ingrained in that society. And what is unfortunate also is the fact that our religious leaders don't seem to have the courage to face it, to confront it. Rather, they take the easy route of turning the other way. How do you change such a culture? How do you change it? Where do you begin? The only uh, possibility I see is the possibility of generations to come that are going to be able to change that culture. But if they are going to be able to change that culture, they have to be equipped. And folks, the game changer is education. This is why we are putting our focus there, because we care. We expect that country to, that country has to change, folks. And so therefore, we got a school, a Christian school, in which we hope that we can raise these kids, not only teach them, we hope to be able to give them what a solid education that can really actually be able to help them to reason, to think, and so on, but with integrity and moral conscience. We're trying. It's tough, it's hard, but the good thing is that I've had prayer warriors and supporters, you know, all this time. They are telling me, Francis, go, we're behind you. And it's been powerful. Folks, there were times, prayers matters. There were times when I, can say, when I would say to myself, somebody must be praying for me. So, for us to change the world, folks, we can't back off. And the game changer is going to be education. So critical, so important. Even as we take missions, across and of course the you know why is this important this is important because it is the command the last thing jesus told us before he left go ye therefore okay he taught out a lot other things to take care of the poor and one of my favorite 
you know, teachings of Jesus was, you know, when he gave the, uh, the explanation that, you know, we have the sheep on the left and, you know, uh, the goat on the right or whatever. And he said, you on the right, the sheep, you go to heaven and have what, you know, is prepared for you. Because I was hungry, you fed me. I was sick. You came to visit me. And they would ask, well, Lord, when do we do all of these things? And Jesus said to them, inasmuch as you did it to this, the least of my brethren, you did it for me. You know, so we have a command. We have a mandate. These are the basis of missions. Okay? Now, again, like I said, we have had to have, you know, need help. Because even Jesus did not operate alone. But at this point, I really want to thank so much, to thank my wife. One of the best things I got from here, Indiana Wesleyan, was God giving me a wife, a partner, a life partner. This mission would not be, have been successful if she has not been a force behind it. We've been married for uh, 39 years. Okay? It's going to be about, you know, 40 years. And I tell you, folks, if I have to do it all over again, I would marry the same person. After 40 years. She's my hardest critic, my best critic, but she, get, she always draws the best out of me. So, I want to thank all of you in here tonight, and especially you, my team of uh, warriors that are behind this project. Really believe that this is God's project, and God wanted us to do it. And I want to thank you. Time is up, but thank you very much. And for you all changers, you're always welcome to join us. That nation has to change. Thank you so much, Francis. Now would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for not just calling people such as Charles Duvall and Francis Mustafa, but most important, they have answered the call to the very ends of the earth. We just ask that you would plant that same seed in the hearts of all the students, friends of the Mustafa's family gathered here today. Be a part of all we do and say, we thank you for this great university is so committed to changing the world for Christ. Go with us. Keep us safe this week. Keep us well as we approach the end of the semester. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. You are dismissed.